If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, pastor John, our senior pastor, is still recovering from knee replacement surgery, but I've seen him. He's walking. He's doing well. He's obeying his wife. He's obeying the doctor. And, uh, you know, he, being a former Dodger, he knows how to rehab an injury, and he's, he's being very careful to check with the doctor that he's not going to do too much because it's his nature to kind of overdo it. So he's staying right with the program. I understand there's a little bit of pain involved when you have your knee replaced. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he's dealing with that, so we need to remember him in prayer. But he's doing well. Um, he will be back soon. We're kind of thinking about getting a chair up here for him. I think, Bill, you're going to help us find a chair. Yeah, Bill just had the surgery done about a month ago. So we'll get, we're going to get a chair up here, so we'll get him back soon because um, you'll want to hear him. Last week, I was out of town, so I missed it, but I understand Rob Selleck showed up with props and a hat. Oh, yeah. You saw that? <laughs> yeah, I listened to it online yesterday. I loved it. Um, if you missed it, like I did, I listened to it online. It's wonderful, uh, wonderful to hear. He, he spoke on temptation. Kind of looking at everybody here, I don't think anybody here has any problem with temptation. But if you ever do, or maybe you know somebody who does, it, it's a great message to listen to. I want to ask you about something to see if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever uh, bought something, maybe, maybe a big item, something you really wanted, and then you uh, got it home, maybe you even had to put it together or whatever, but after you had it for a, a little while, you realize that the, the bloody thing just doesn't work? And it's not what you wanted, and so you, you haul it back to the store to get your money back. And when you go in the store, maybe you start with one person, and, you know, you, you tell your problem to them, and they can't help you. So you go looking for an authoritative-looking person, and you find the authoritative-looking person, and you tell them your whole story. Oh, I got this home, and it doesn't work, and here's why it doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can I have my money back? Only to find out that the authoritative-looking person has only enough authority to listen to your problem, but not any authority to really do anything about the problem. And, and they tell you, well, you need to go find somebody a little higher up. So you go looking, and maybe you find the higher up, and you go through the whole story again. You tell them all the reasons you brought it and why it doesn't work, and you ask for your money back, only to find out that the higher up only has enough height to give you store credit but not enough to give your money back. If you want your money back, you have to talk to the top person, who, of course, is left for the day. And then you go home and you're frustrated because you talk to a whole lot of people you didn't need to talk to and not satisfied, and you wonder if you have to go through this whole thing again tomorrow and if you're ever really going to find the right person to talk to. That can be really frustrating. And it made me think about all the problems we face in life. What about when you're angry? What about when your heart's broken? What about when you're worried, you're anxious? What about when you got some bad news? Who do you go to? Do you go to a friend, a family member, a pastor, maybe a professional person? Do you go to anybody who will listen? And maybe as you go from person to person telling your story to, are you finding the same thing that maybe you're getting sympathy, maybe you're getting people that are trying to avoid you, but you're not getting any answers? You're not getting your problem solved. Let's go all the way to the top. Let's talk about prayer. When you pray, do you sometimes wonder if you're really talking to anybody? Does God hear you? Does he care? Will he help? Will he make things worse? 
Is there a secret to getting his attention? So here's the key question we have this morning. Who is God? Who is he really? There are a lot of different opinions on God. Some think of God as the man upstairs. This is a God that has power, but he's not personal. He doesn't even have a name. He's just the man upstairs. In 1999, the Gallup took a poll of Americans and found that 8% of our population, that's millions of people, do not believe in a personal God, but they do believe in a higher power of some kind. A higher power is the term that the Alcoholics Anonymous coined in the 1930s. A higher power just means any power greater than ourselves. It can be whatever you believe in. It can be science, it can be nature, it can be Buddha, it can be God, it can be existential freedom, whatever you want. Again, power, goodness, but no personality, nothing personal. And today, in America, we find some people that don't even think God exists. So they want his name just erased from our money, erased from the flag salute, erased from any other public buildings, while others still have the opinion, no, 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 it's, it's good etiquette to thank God if you survive a catastrophe, if you win an award, if you make a touchdown, it's okay to thank God then, as long as you're not too specific about who you mean. If you're an American, it is still uh, considered patriotic to believe in God and apple pie. On Oprah Winfrey's website, in early September, she had this, an article that said that our quest to find God is as important, if not more so, than finding God himself, or herself, or itself. The article suggested that each one of us should decide who God is based on what inspires us the most. Oprah's advice to us is, let each one of us create God in our own image. I've heard people say that God is a Democrat or a Republican. If you saw the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson story, Harrison Ford declares God's a Methodist. With all these opinions, it's understandable why so many people today say, well, all, all beliefs lead to God then. They're, they're all, everybody's right. It all, they all work. So when I ask the question, who is God? It's fair if you're asking the question, well, is there a right answer to the question? Who's our authority? Who can tell us who God is really? Who, who decides that? Who's the authority? Is there an authority? And the answer to that question is no and yes. The answer is no. There is no authority. If this book that we have in our laps and I have here is, is an ancient book written by men long ago, just their opinions, then no, there's no authority. Um, we can each believe whatever we want to believe because you know what? There's no authority. There's no teacher to grade our paper. This actually happened to me once in high school. I had a wonderful geometry, geometry teacher my sophomore year. But on one particular day, I remember he was in a, just in a bad mood and we had taken a test and when we passed our test papers in, he collected them all at the front. He walked right over to the wastebasket and dropped them all in the wastebasket and said, that's it. Everybody gets an A today. And he was serious. So the students who didn't study, they cheered. Those of us who did study felt a little cheated. But on that day, it didn't matter if we measured the base and legs of the isosceles triangle correctly because there was no teacher to grade our paper. Nobody to say who was right and who was wrong. So if the Bible is not God's word, then each of us answers the question for ourselves, and then we just have to hope when we get to the other side that 
God is what we were expecting him, her, or it to be. But, and this is a really big but, if this is God's word, if God did directly and personally inspire and speak to the authors of the Bible and and guide them in their writing, then we have right here God's revealed truth. This is truth, which means when we want to answer the question, who is God, we have an authority. We have God himself. If God shares himself on every page of the Bible, it would almost be like he really wants us to know who he is. Because we find facts every time we turn a page. There's a new fact. Now, God hasn't told us everything we would like to know about him, but he has told us everything we need to know about him. So back to the question, who is God? Let's find out what he says. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Psalms. And the Psalms are a collection of songs that use poetic language to tell us about God. The poetic language sometimes makes it a little easier to visualize him because it's a little more picturesque. If you would, please turn to Psalm 139. Uh, The word psalm means song. And David wrote this psalm, the Psalm 139, for his choir master to perform. It's a piece of music. Who is David? Well, you might remember him when he was a young shepherd boy. He became famous for killing Goliath with a sling and a stone. And then later he became king of Israel. And while he was king, he wrote this psalm under the direct supervision and guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us what I think is the most breathtaking view of God in the entire Bible. I used to have a very inconsistent, I'd call it, prayer life. I, um, I didn't pray with very much confidence. When I would pray, sometimes I wasn't sure God was even listening to me. If I'm going to be very honest, I was sometimes afraid to pray because I didn't know if I would like God's answer. I didn't know if I was supposed to come to God with everything or just the things I couldn't handle. And I was sometimes not even sure how to approach God. What do I say to him? Psalm 139 opened my eyes to a God I had seriously underestimated. In this psalm, I discovered a God that is so much more than I could possibly imagine. This is maybe a silly analogy, but reading Psalm 139 for me was like the day my family got our first color TV set. Now, I know for a lot of you, you've only known color TV, You probably have a color TV in just about every room of your house. Maybe you even have one of those refrigerators that has a TV mounted into the door. But when I grew up, we had one TV, and it was black and white. So when they delivered that color TV, oh my goodness, when I saw the NBC Peacock in color for the first time, when I saw Disney's wonderful world of color in color, a whole new world opened up to me. Psalm 139 did the same thing. It opened up a whole new world that changed how I think about God, how I see God, how I talk to God. My faith grew and my worries shrank. Prayer, (laughs) used to be inconsistent, became an amazing thing for me. Because when I was talking to God, I could see him. I mean, not visually, but I, I could picture who I was talking to. It answered the question, if he's listening, of course he's listening. We'll get into that in a minute. And it was so exciting to see answers to prayer popping up all over the place. 
Psalm 139 showed me how to go from timid prayers to life-changing prayers. Now, if you have spent yourself any time in this psalm, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know this psalm, I'm so glad you're here because you're in for a treat. Um, Psalm 139 just comes loaded with treasure. Wherever you look, you're going to see God in a new way. And I'll tell you something else. Depending on what you're dealing with in your life right now, you're going to hear something and see something different than the person sitting next to you. How do I know that? I know that because I have read Psalm 139 more than any other place in Scripture. I usually read it the first thing I read when I travel and I'm alone. And every time I read it, it seems I'm in a new set of circumstances. And every time I've read this, uh, this psalm that I've read over and over again, I see something brand new, as if it hadn't been there before. And it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're taking care of that too, and that, and that. Okay, that's probably enough introduction. Let's pray. And then I'd like to read the psalm together, the whole thing, and then we're just going to look at the first six verses this morning. Father, we're just so grateful to get to come into your house and open your word and hear from you, Lord, as our authority on who you are. Father, I pray you give us open minds, ready to receive instruction from you. Give us hearts that are hungry for your truth. Give us wills that yearn to respond to you with obedience. Take away anything that is distracting our attention. Take away any misconceptions we have about you. And Father, take away my voice and let us only hear your words from your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to read the psalm together. Remember the question is, who is God? Are you ready? O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, Lord, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give you thanks because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, 
and lead me in the everlasting way. Boy, that just sort of preaches itself. Psychologists tell us that one of the basic human needs, one of the basic things we need as humans is to be known. To be known isn't about fame or popularity. To be known is about connection. We need to have a connection with someone, someone who knows us for who we are. During your lifetime, you may be known by a lot of people. You, you, they know you from church or from work or the neighborhood or other places, but you're only going to truly be known by only a few in your lifetime because to be known takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication and a lot of intimate conversation. The difference between having someone know you and really being known is like the difference between a friend and a best friend. A friend knows something about you. A best friend could write a very embarrassing biography on your life. <laughs> a friend is someone you tell a secret to and you ask him or her not to tell anyone. <clears throat> a best friend knows all your secrets and never has to be told not to tell. And then the joke is, a friend would bail you out of jail. Best friend would be sitting next to you in jail. <laughs> we want to be known. We want someone to know us, all our quirks, all our flaws, and just love us for the way we are. Someone we don't have to pretend with. So Psalm 139 starts off with wonderful news that goes right to the core of what it means to be human. Look, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You and I are known by God. Did you know that? When you bow your head to pray, you are praying to the best friend you could possibly have. You think of God like that? Maybe you're familiar with the Disney animated film, Aladdin, where the genie sings this big production number, you ain't never had a friend like me. Psalm 139 is telling us that. We ain't never had a friend like God. Today when you go home, you might want to try something. Open your Bible to this passage and just read verse 1, the first line of verse 1, out loud to God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Make it a prayer. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Read that over and over to him enough times till it really sinks into you what you're saying. I remember being in a hotel room reading this, and I've read this psalm so many times, and I got to that part, and I was reading it. All of a sudden, I stopped. It seemed like the words were jumping off the page at me. And I said out loud, Oh my gosh, Lord, you know me. You know me. You've searched me. And in that moment, I understood something about God I had never really grasped before. God is personal. God is intimate. Even if I don't get him, he gets me, totally. God has a relationship with me as if I was the only human being in the entire universe. And the same for each one of you. God doesn't want us to be religious. He wants us to have a relationship with him. God has passionately devoted himself to knowing everything there is to know about each one of you and me and everyone else. It's a good idea that we're spending time today to see if, what we can learn about him. You know, psychologists have said that they can have a patient for years that comes to them once a week for years, and that doctor still doesn't really know that patient at all. How is that possible? Because all the doctor can know is what the patient wants to reveal. The doctor cannot really see into that person's life, see into their heart and soul to see what they're really like, but God can. 
He sees right into our hearts. The next time you have a problem, remember that. God is really the best psychologist you could possibly talk to. He knows you. He knows your situation. He doesn't charge by the hour. We have to move on, but I just want to say one more time so we don't rush by it. Oh my gosh. You are known inside and out by Almighty God, the great I Am, creator of heaven and earth, knows you like the very best friend. Lord, you have searched me and known me. Psalms are written in a poetic language, so we have to be careful with some of the words. This word searched does not mean that God had to literally inspect us or examine us, use a magnifying glass or the cool technology they have on CSI or any of that. God did not have to examine us. It means God knows us completely because that's his nature. All of God's knowledge is complete. He lacks nothing. God does not ever need to learn anything about you. He is never uninformed or ignorant of any fact. There is nothing God has to discover that he doesn't already know, and what he already knows, he has known forever. There's never been a time where he didn't know it. If that's too much for your brain to take in right now, please stay with me. I think you'll feel better when we get to verse 6. God knows us completely because he is the all-knowing God. That's one of his attributes, his omniscience. He is all-knowing. Let's find out a little more about what God knows. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and, are, and you understand my thought from afar. <clears throat> Do you know how many times you've sat down and stood up today? Did you keep track of that? How about yesterday? How about your whole life? God knows. Again, this is poetic language, so we can't decide, okay, this verse is teaching us that all God cares about is our, our body position. No, this is what it's teaching. It's teaching us that God takes note of everything we do. Everything. Who's the most powerful person in the world today? Maybe President Obama? Does President Obama know every detail of your life? Does President Obama know any detail of your life? Probably not. That's probably for the best. But God knows everything there is to know about you and I, right down to the details that we think would be mundane and insignificant. This teaches us that we can talk to God about anything and everything because there's nothing that's insignificant to him. I used to pray timidly, I told you, inconsistently. <coughs> My prayer life now is sort of a running dialogue with God all day long because I think he's interested in everything, so I tell him everything. I tell him what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Lord, I'm running a little late. Can you help me hit some green lights? Thank you for the coffee this morning. That was good. A hey, good seat on the train, Father. Thank you. Lord, I'm coming into work today. I'm at 10 o'clock. I have a meeting. I'm not very excited about that. Can you help me? Can you find, give me, help me in that meeting? I'm getting a little bored in this other meeting. Can you help me focus? Beautiful clouds today, Lord. Wow, you're so creative. So far, <coughs> God has not said to me to stop talking to him, that I'm telling him too much. But this did remind me of something that happened to Joni and I a few months ago. We were babysitting my three-year-old granddaughter. And she was in bed, and she wanted a bedtime story. <clears throat> so I went in, and Joni and I went in. I sat on the floor next to her little bed. I said, what kind of story do you want, sweetheart? She said, tell me a story about Jesse and Bullseye. That's the cowgirl and horse from Toy Story. I said, OK, well, close your eyes, and I'll tell you a story. 
So I just started making the story up. I said, oh, one day it was sunny and it was beautiful and Jesse gets on bullseye and they go for a beautiful ride in the forest and they see squirrels and birds and they see a meadow and they pick flowers. They cross a stream and they have a picnic. I just kept embellishing it because I was waiting for her to nod off to sleep, kind of like you're doing now. And just, <laughs> and her eyes were closed and I thought I was doing really well until all of a sudden her eyes popped open and she, uh, she looked up like this. She looked all the way up because Joni was standing at the head of the bed. And I thought, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, oh, Callie's going to say something cute. She's going to say, oh, Gampy's story is so good, or this is a fun story, or any of that. You know what she said? <laughs> she, she looked up at Joni and she sighed and said, this story is taking forever. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I put in too many details. The point is, though, God knows everything, and he does not get bored with us telling him every detail. He knows every detail of our life. We need to take God seriously because he takes us seriously. The next time you're wondering who to go to when you have a problem, stop wondering. Go to God. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't seek out a friend or someone else to ask advice from. I mean, God gives us each other for support and help. But the psalm is saying, don't make God your second choice. Remember him. <clears throat> Remember what he knows. Try to consider the, how much he knows about the situation you're dealing with. Go to God first. Don't make God plan B. Go to God first and always. Now verse 2, if you've been thinking ahead, is good news and it's bad news. The good news is God sees everything we do. The bad news is God sees everything we do. When I think I'm getting away with something, no, he sees it all. The next time you're about to do something or say something you know isn't correct or isn't right, try to remember this verse. Remember God is seeing everything you do. Don't be surprised if you stop saying and doing all kinds of things. I'm saying that from personal experience. God knows every detail of our lives and look what else. You understand my thought from afar. God understands you. You never have to explain yourself to God. Did you know that? Are you angry at someone right now? Are you hurt? Are you frustrated in a situation? Are you worried? Are you anxious about something? Are you crabby because you haven't had coffee? Whatever your condition, God understands it perfectly. God gets you. He understands you. And I don't mean the collective you, all you people out there, or all the people of the earth. He understands you specifically. Put your name there. Just as if you were the only person in the universe. He understands you. You, completely. God always understands you. And this also means, then, that God never misunderstands you. Don't you hate to be misunderstood? Doesn't that hurt? When somebody misreads your intentions, your actions, or your words? Doesn't that hurt? God will never misunderstand you. He will never misjudge you. You understand my thought from afar. Again, poetic language, but I love what it reveals here about God. He understands our thoughts from far away. Now, why is that important? Because God is our Father in heaven. But he is not limited to heaven. He, does, he can occupy heaven and be right here with us at the same time. We'll talk more about that next week. But when you're hurting, when you're scared, when you're lonely... 
When you're so mad, you could spit fire. God understands. He's with you. He understands you. And no matter what your situation is, God is never out of reach, out of touch, out of sight, or out of earshot. I used to shoot uh, a lot of commercials for car companies all over the country. And we would go all over the place. We'd go to the snow, the desert, the forest, the beach. You had to find the right road for the right car. And when we traveled on these scouting parties, we took walkie-talkies so we could communicate. And the walkie-talkies have a limited range. I cannot tell you how many times I would go out alone, find myself out in the middle of nowhere, find the perfect location, grab the walkie-talkie, go, hey guys, come up here, only to have static, because I had driven out of range. It's a very lonely feeling when you're standing in the middle of nowhere and your walkie-talkie has become a walkie-no-talkie. <laughs> One time, I was in Washington State and we were scouting and I went off by, by myself and I found these big boulders along the side of the road and I thought, if I can climb up there, I bet you I'm going to have a really good camera angle down on the curve in the road. For that. This could be great. So I, I, I climbed up all, all over these boulders. It took me a little while, but I got up to the top. And the whole time I was climbing, my radio was chattering. And, and I could hear the voice of the location scout, but it was all garbled because he was too far away. He was out of range. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. When he finally got in range, I asked him to repeat his message. His voice came loud and clear over my radio. You want to know what he said? He said, if you get near those big boulders on the side of the curve there, be careful. They are loaded with poison ivy and rattlesnakes. I don't know what poison ivy looks like. They showed it to me often, and I still don't get it. So I just stood still, and I said, well, come get me. That's where I am, and I stood still. Minutes went by. They came. They got me down off the boulders. I can tell you, I came off there without any itches or any bites, but my rescue party did not fare so well. Uh, nobody got snake bit, but those poor men came down with poison ivy everywhere. So I wasn't too popular after that. But my point is, God is never out of range. Verse 3 tells us something else. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. God scrutinizes our path. What's our path? Our path is our journey, our journey through life. Why does God care about our journey? He cares because the Bible teaches that this earth is not our home. We have a home waiting for us in heaven. While we're on earth, God has given us a roadmap for each one of us. And that, if we stay on course, that course will lead us to him and keep us close to him. He scrutinizes that to only make sure we get the very best and the very best things for us. We cannot see our future. Have you noticed that? That's why big decisions are so agonizing for us. Should I take this job or not? Should I marry this person? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I move to this city or that city? We can't see where we're going. So we never know if the decision we're about to make now, how that's going to impact us in the future. We cannot see where we're going, but God can. Who do you go to when you have a big decision to make? Let me ask you this. Do you ever pray about it? And if you pray, is it your first thought or kind of your last resort? I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just asking you the same questions I've asked myself because for me, prayer used to be a last resort.
There's nothing wrong with asking people for their advice, <coughs> friends and family and even counselors. But just remember, whenever you go to a fellow human being asking them for advice about your future, remember, they can't see your future any better than you can. So it will be the blind leading the blind. Only God, our all-knowing God, knows our future because he sees our future as clearly as he sees our present and our past. I have a suggestion. When you pray for guidance, <coughs> maybe not for that kind of prayer. Don't close your eyes and bow your head. If you ask God for guidance, I suggest you keep your head up and your eyes open because God will guide you. You will see doors opening, taking you places you, you could never imagine. And God will also shut doors, sometimes right in your face, to prevent you from taking a wrong step. When we give our decisions to God, we're not being spiritual. We're not being religious. We're being practical. We're giving our decisions to the God who sees our future and knows what's coming. Let me give you an example. You know those movies, like the James Bond films that have those wonderful car chases in them? <laughs> the actors behind the wheel of a real car on a real road, zigging and zagging in and out of traffic and all kinds of other things, people, pedestrians, all kinds of things. Behind him, he's being chased by helicopters or a squadron of motorcycles or cars. There's bullets going off. There's explosions. And somehow, this guy is able to perfectly drive on that road while a camera is sitting on his hood and maybe even a cameraman mounted on his fender with camera lights and batteries mounted on the car. That actor cannot possibly see where he's going. But it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because the actor doesn't have to see where he's going. He only has to look like he knows where he's going. I think I have a slide here for you to see. <coughs> this is how they do that. On the roof of the actor's car, there's a whole new seat up there and a stunt driver. The stunt driver can see the road perfectly, and the stunt driver, therefore, has the only working steering wheel, the only working brake and accelerator. All the stuff the actor's doing isn't connected to anything. They just have to look like they're driving. The man up top, who's a professional driver, can see the road perfectly. So he's doing all the driving. I've actually been in cars like that where I've been directing or been the cameraman, and you put your life in, your hand, in the hands of that stunt driver. Not the perfect analogy, but I was hoping it would help us visualize this verse. God never takes his eyes off of your road. We can go back to the other slide. I used to worry a lot about my future. I was really good at worrying. I used to ask all the time, oh, oh no, what if this happens? Oh no, what if that happens? You know what I've learned from knowing that I have an all-knowing God? I've learned when something happens, I, do, I, I might go, oh no, but I immediately say, oh God, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I still get a little nervous because I'm in the dark here. I can't see where I'm going, but I trust the Lord completely. He scrutinized my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. When David wrote this psalm, that's back around 1000 BC, the Hebrew word for scrutinizing also had the meaning of winnowing. Winnowing was the process they used back then when they'd harvest their, their grain, they'd let the wind blow through it to blow all the chaff away. The chaff is the useless stuff. So God scrutinizes our path and our lying down. That means God is judging our active life as well as our quiet life and he's winnowing away. He's getting rid of the useless things in our life. The winnowing process can be frustrating for us because we see things going away that we thought we wanted or needed. But God knows exactly what we need. So whatever you see blowing away from your life, just let it go. 
God is intimately acquainted with how many of our ways? Yeah, it doesn't say some. <coughs> it doesn't say many or most or pertinent or the whole batch. He's acquainted with all of our ways. The word all in Hebrew is interesting. It means all. <coughs> you know, it's sort of ironic. We're asking a question today that God would never ask of us. We're asking, who is God? God never asked to ask, who are you? Because he knows you intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself. How about some more incredible news? Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You know all those thoughts that go through our heads sometimes? The things we think but don't dare say out loud or, or act on? God sees those idea too, all those ideas too. God knows all our secrets. He knows every one of our motives. He knows all our dirt. He sees our good deeds as well as the not good deeds. He knows every clean and filthy thought that goes through our head. Let that sink in for a minute. That's what God knows about you. And you know what? He still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. And he knows everything there is to know about you. I think the question is not why do we believe in God, but why does God believe in us? But he does. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. This verse teaches us what prayer is to God. If you're wondering what prayer is to God, here's the answer. It isn't about the words because he already knows the words before we say them. He knows the words before we do. So it can't be about the words. So what's it about? Prayer is all about you and me seeing our needs and realizing our absolute dependence upon God and going to him with trusting hearts for everything. God knows what we're thinking before we do. We can be open. There's no, there's no reason to try to fool God. He sees it all. He knows it all better than we do. Prayer gets really fun that way, by the way. You can just be yourself when you talk to God. That's why children's prayers are so much fun to listen to because they just say what they're thinking. Again, sorry, one more granddaughter story, but she was praying the other night and I heard her prayers. She said, she was thank, she said thank, thank you, God, for mommy, for daddy, and the cookie monster. <laughs> She's thankful for the cookie monster. Why not just tell God what you're thinking? In the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. And there's, this, there's where the story is of Jesus walking on the water. You probably know that story. It was nighttime. It, the sea was very choppy because there were strong winds and a lot of waves. And the apostle Peter saw Jesus walking across the water toward the boat. So Peter said, Jesus, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter hopped out of the boat. Here's a man that's been a fisherman his entire life, jumping out of a boat on a choppy sea and walking on the water that he's fished on his whole life. And as he's heading toward the Lord, he was doing great. <coughs> Had his eyes on him, he was doing great. But then he did what I would have done. Started looking around, seeing where he was. Then he started to sink. And Peter then began to pray. Now Peter at that moment threw away all prayer meeting protocols. He did not pray, Oh, my Lord and Savior, my dear Jesus Christ, Messiah, King, my God. Behold, on this night thy servant has come out of thy boat. And you know, Lord, that I weigh 250 pounds, and you know the surface of the sea cannot contain my weight. Behold, therefore, thy servant, take pity on me. 
for I am about to go under. If he had prayed a prayer like that, he would have finished it underwater. Those would have been the last words he ever said. Peter prayed the shortest prayer recorded in the Bible. He shouted, Lord, save me. Jesus, who was fully aware of Peter's problem before (laughs) Peter did, (coughs) answered the prayer, reached down, grabbed his hand, and put him in the boat. Psalm 139 teaches us to pray like Peter did. We don't have to pretend we're okay when we're not. We don't have to pretend we're in a good mood when we're not. We don't have to pretend we have great faith in God when we don't. We just go to him. We be ourselves. We're honest. He already knows what we're going to say. Now, someone may ask, if God already knows what I'm going to say, why pray at all? It's a good question. I have a good answer. (coughs) We pray because God has told us to pray. All through the Old and New Testament, God tells his people, come to me with everything. You have not because you ask not. Ask. Come. That's the sweet relationship God is inviting each one of us to have. Verse 5. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. God has us surrounded for our own good. He sees everything in our past as well as he sees everything in our present and future. You know, I don't know if you've done this, but I've made some mistakes in my life. Have you? Only God can take all of your past mistakes and all the ones you're going to make in the future. Only God can work all of that stuff together and make it come out to where you need to be. Even if you're sitting here right now knowing you've made a pretty big hash out of your life, God is saying, I can work with that. I'll start with you there. Give it to me. I have you behind and before. God has us protected coming and going. The truth of verse 5 should lift a ton of worry off our shoulders. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. God knows all things. And he has laid his hand upon me. (coughs) God's hand speaks of closeness. God goes where his hand goes. Picture a father tenderly putting his hand on the child he loves. That's what God's doing everywhere we go. And his hand also speaks of power. With God's hand on us, we suddenly can do the impossible. Like what? Like forgiving someone who did something unforgivable. Like watching God solve an absolutely no-win, impossible situation. Like loving someone unlovable. Those are just a few from my list. I'm sure you have your own testimonies of God's hand in your life. Can you see a little better how much God loves you? How much he knows about you? How much he cares about you? How much he's aware of everything you're thinking, feeling, smelling, tasting, looking at? Do you understand that while he's doing that for you, he's doing that for the person next to you and the person after that and for every person in this church and for every person in this city and for every person in this world? in the past and all the way to the future. If that's a little too much for you to take in, you know what that means? It means you're paying attention. Look what David said. (laughs) Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. In the first five verses of this song, 
David was praising God for his all-knowing ways, and by the time he gets here, you can almost see him stopping playing the instruments and just declaring, God, you're blowing my mind. I cannot comprehend you. The message of Psalm 139 isn't that we can understand God. It's that God can understand us. Groucho Marx once said, I don't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. I would say the same thing. I don't want a God so small that I can totally figure him out in my own brain. That's why we have to come to him by faith. What is faith? Faith is trust. When you have faith, you don't turn your brain off. You just don't let your brain limit the size of your trust. Faith is going to God and saying, Lord, I don't, <laughs> I don't fully understand you at all, but I do believe what you've said about yourself, so I'll trust that. And the good news is you don't need to come to God with a lot of faith. He's asking you to come with the smallest amount possible, and then that'll grow. All through the Bible, I'm encouraged that Old and New Testament, God referred to his people as people of little faith. And those people of little faith did wonderful things. How breathtaking is our God. How wonderful is having an all-knowing God. Next week, we're going to finish this psalm. This week we asked, who is God? Next week we'll ask, where is God? If you have questions about today's message, I'm here. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. Or you have those uh, bulletins. There's a, a thing on the bottom, fill in the blank. If you want to just give us your contact information and write your question, we'll answer. If during the week you think of something, oh, I wish I had asked that. There's, just go to the website. There's an Ask the Elders thing. You can type in your question. I will see the question. Uh, with a little technical help, I can even answer the question. Let's pray. Father, <coughs> you, are so, you are so much more than we can possibly imagine. Our minds cannot fathom you, Lord. Your greatness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your care, your compassion... You sent your son to die so that we could know you and have this kind of sweet relationship with you like David had in this psalm. Father, you know us. You know where we've been. You know what we're going through now. You know how much we need you. Please, Father, let us throw away any ideas about you that are too small. Let us see you for who you are. Let us desire to have a relationship with you through Christ our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm. Thank you for being our all-knowing, caring God. Father, please don't let your word fall upon deaf ears. Let each one of us be changed by your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.